you have it, whether on your device or your physical copy of the Scriptures, as I have here, and turn to Psalm 85, find your way back to the psalm that Bob read for us earlier today. Advent began last Sunday. And we, we talked about how Advent is this reality of His coming and how, how the word Advent itself means coming or arrival or revelation, those kind of things. Coming. And, and we said that, that Jesus has come. Right? We just sang about that. What child is this? And, and we said that not only has Jesus come in the past, but Jesus comes in the present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that makes this much different than a Rotary Club gathering is that Jesus is here. That's the distinctive difference. Jesus is here. Whether you feel that, whether whether you're having a good day or a bad day, whether things are wonderful or things are like horrible, we gather together here and in the mystery of his coming today, when two or more are gathered in his name, he dwells in the midst of them. He's here. And Advent reminds us that, you know, we groan and we long for a day when Jesus comes again. So we live in this place of, of what is and what is to be, what the way it is and the way we would hope it to be, the, the places of darkness and the place where God will come again and make all things right. And that's where we live. And what we do is we wait. We wait. But the question I wonder is, how do we wait? We just said that there's this mystery of his presence with us, but today I think we're going to talk about the most amazing mystery, perhaps the greatest of mysteries. And I wish that I had vocabulary that could express this greatest of mysteries. But remember that prayer you prayed for 30 seconds? I hope that somewhere in there you opened your heart to the possibility of the greatest mystery of all. We're talking about longing this Advent. Longing. July 21st, 2023 made it clear that the world is trying to satisfy very deep longings. Now you may not think this is the case about July 21st, 2023, but the popularity and the buzz around it revealed to us that we live in a world that is longing for something we deeply desire, something we want to know. Jamie said it, something to anchor to, something to hold on to. July 21st really revealed that. That was the day that the movie Barbie was released. Go ahead, put that picture up there. But there was also the release of the, release of the Super Mario Brothers movie in April. And the next week, next week, December 15th, I think, the movie Wonka is coming out. 
There are also movies coming forward that are in the works based off of Hot Wheels and Play-Doh. Right about now you're saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Jeff? Well, these movies all appeal to something. They appeal, why would Hollywood invest millions and millions and millions of dollars in this? Because they appeal to the nostalgic want in all of us. I mean, most of that, at some measure, has some connection to my childhood or adolescence. Why are they doing that? Why not something new and exciting? And why this? And why are these movies making millions and millions of dollars? Brett McCracken said this, the lonely and rootless sojourners of a post-Christian digital world are flocking in mass as if on pilgrimage to the sacred spaces of nostalgia and the comfort food of pop culture. Longing. You see, Advent invites us to bring those deep longings of our sometimes lonely and rootless sojourning souls. Advent invites us to bring those longings to the one, to the only one, who can satisfy them at the deepest level, especially as we live and we wait and what is, and what it ought to be when Jesus returns. Longing. What are you longing for? If that sounds familiar, we planted that question last week. What are you longing for? What rests in the depth of your being and cries out to be satisfied? What, what is inside you that is just screaming to be fulfilled? That, my friends, is longing. Now, closely connected to longing are desires. And in desires, we have rightly ordered desires, healthy desires, and we have disordered desires. We've talked about those things in the past, but those desires that are rightly ordered around love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and those disordered desires that fundamentally are ordered around our own self-referential self. When our desires are disordered, our longings and the attempt to meet our longings will be misdirected. And we will never find true fulfillment. Longings. Desires. But what is at the heart of desire? One famous book, the title says it well. You are what you love. You are what you love. We become what we love. You are what you love. And what we love is shaped by how we are loved. Many things shape our life. Many things. But from the earliest of ages, 
love carries the greatest weight in shaping us. Now, that's not just a Christian or a religious conclusion. In fact, in a, in a British study that's in the library of the National Institutes of Health, there are conclusions about this. Uh, one of the conclusions is that parents can worry about many things that just aren't that important for their children, for the development of their child's brain. They can worry about things like making sure they have their own room or buying them toys or taking them on expensive holidays or making sure they get what they want and making sure that their life, everything revolves around their life. But that's not the most important thing when it comes to the development of their brain, of their human brain. Scientific studies. Dr. Robert Winston said the most valuable gift that a child can receive is free, simply a parent's love, time, and support. This is no empty sentiment. Science is now showing why babies' brains need love more than anything else. What a thought. What a timely thought. Love shapes us. Love is the universal longing. That longing transcends Religion, culture, ethnicity, economic status transcends all of that. It's how we are made. In a world like ours, though, unfortunately, words like passion and sex and feeling are seen as the primary modes of love. But something deeper exists. The, the longing, though, this deep, deep longing has a home where it can be met in the deepest part of the soul, which brings us to Advent. Advent. This strange season. Most of the time, most of the world, we, we want to run to Christmas. We, we want to just get there. We want to start singing Christmas on July 28th. I talked last week about my, my traumatic experience in Hobby Lobby in August, seeing all the Christmas stuff. But Advent calls us to wait. We, we wait. Some people call Advent Little Lent. So that when we come to Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, we are so blown away by the truth of what child is this. So we stare into the dark on purpose. And sometimes, you know, like at night when it's really dark, you got to stare into the pitch black to see the stars, to see the light. And to do that, your eyes have to adjust. You have to, you have to stop. You have to slow down. And it's there, as Jill Weber says, that when we in Advent stop and we slow down, we, we look in the dark and we pause, we then begin to see the promises of God shining through. That's the invitation of Advent, and, and that's actually what's happening in Psalm 85. In Psalm 85, we wait for Christ in the dark, but these people... We're returning from exile. Jerusalem was broken down. Things had to be rebuilt. Structures were gone. In some ways, at times, it was 
every person for themselves. It was a mess. And so with deep longing, this psalmist cries out to the Lord, and we find this cry in these words. Verse 7, show us how much you love us, God. Give us the salvation we need. This entire psalm rests on that verse of Scripture. That's the hinge pin. Give us the salvation we need. Show us how much you love us, God. Now, we heard these words earlier as well, verse 9 and 10. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You see, when we see those words love, faithfulness, righteousness, peace, what we're actually seeing is this picture of the character of God on display. And what this is saying to us as these people are praying to God, crying to God, singing to God, this is telling us something very important about God. As we see his character on display in these words, we see this, God is all in on our behalf. With all that he is, God is all in on our behalf to give us the salvation we need. He's all in. In another way to say it would be this, God's character is operational toward us. It's in operation His character is operational toward us in fulfilling our deepest, deepest, deepest longing. And there's one word in our text that captures it. That captures it fully. I'll describe it this way. There was a day, another day. It was a much better day than July 21st. It was April 24th, 1982. It was on that day that I stood before a group of family and friends and I committed to love Kathleen Lee Borden until death do us part. We said things like this, in sickness and health, for richer and poorer. I haven't really practiced the richer part yet, but the poorer part we got down. But here's what's essential. I didn't say to Kathleen, I want to enter into this contract with you. We didn't enter into a contract. We embraced a covenant. Not a contract, but a covenant. And there's one word in this passage that speaks to that. It's the word we see in our English translation, love. The word that's used is sort of like the word shalom, which is really hard to translate into English. We say peace, but it's so much more than that. So is the Hebrew term hesed, which which means 
this incredible love. It has many nuances. And if I was going to define it in Jeff DeFrancia terms, I would call it unfaltering love. But I believe Dan Boone actually captures it fully in Joy in Every Longing Heart when he says, Hesed is the behavior that one person has the right to expect of the other in light of promises that were made. Think about that for a minute. You see, that's the heartbeat of that marriage covenant. When I, when I made that covenant to Kathleen almost 42 years ago, she rightfully should expect certain behaviors from me. That's covenant. She rightly should expect faithfulness from me. Love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace kiss each other. But we're not talking about a marriage between a man and a woman, a covenant. That's not what we're talking about, though it applies. We're talking about God here. And we're talking about a people who are crying out to God because the choices that they have made have distanced them from God. God's gone nowhere. He hasn't moved. But the choices that the ancient people of Israel made were distancing them from God. And now they're returning back to him and they're crying out to him because they knew one thing. If this love, this covenant is the behavior we can expect from someone in light of the promises they have made, they knew this and we can know this. We can know what behavior we can expect from God. And that knowledge of these people allowed them in their brokenness, in their sin, in their shame, it allowed them to cry out to God because they knew something about the behavior of God. This is what they knew. But I have hope when I think of this. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Lord, your loyalty is great. We note it as, as great as your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is mine. So I hope in him. Wow. They knew that about God. They knew that about the behavior of God. This is the promise we base our hope on. We long for Jesus to make all things right. Why, why do you come? Why do you gather? Why do you worship? Why do, we, why do we hope? This is a season of hope, as Bob shared with us earlier. Why do we hope? We long for Jesus to make all things right, but it is the promise of God's love that allows us to wait and to trust, and to hold fast. It allows us to wait, as on right now, and says, even with a smile. The psalmist and his hearers knew deep down that residing in God's heart is his promise for 
and his longing to love his people. Have you thought about that? That's what, that's what binds God to his people. Have you thought about the fact that God longs to love you and me, us? And that freed these people to cry out, even admitting the brokenness of their covenant. It is that depth we heard of that brain-shaping love that even today a very modern study shows. But one of the things that healthy parental love does is it sets boundaries. And so it is with the love of God, our heavenly parent. In verse 8 it says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Interesting. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you all that, but don't turn back. Don't go back to the folly of your ways apart from God. Because then you won't be able to have peace. Not because God won't give it, but because you'll distance yourself from it. Do you remember these words from last week? Advent asks us to name what is dark in the world and in our own lives and invite the light of Christ into each shadowy corner. We cannot welcome the light of the world or follow the light of the world while we hide in the dark. But here's the really good news. We read that and we go, whew, that's that's too heavy for Christmas. (laughs) But here's the really good news. What we do know about God and his behavior toward us that we know that God is all in with his person toward us, that God comes to us in a posture of unfaltering love, that allows us to know that his love is greater than our greatest failures, our deepest regrets, our most horrible sins, and even, even our paralyzing shame. What we know about God knows that his love is bigger than all of that. Thanks be to God. I came across these words this week from Sheila Walsh. I just, they struck me. Sin makes us want to hide from the only one who can help us, the only one who can save us. So part of the challenge of our brokenness is to train our hearts to hear God's love above the noise of our shame. How do I train my heart? How do I train my heart to hear the voice of God saying, I love you? That, that sounds sentimental at Christmas time, doesn't it? That, that sounds weak. But think about it again. Almighty God, his posture toward us is unfaltering love. So if I take that in, if I dwell on that, if I think on that, if I read the scriptures and look and listen for the love of God, it's been proven for all of you in the medical community of this amazing power of neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to change. And maybe some of us, when we were children, We maybe were not told as much 
as others. That we were loved. But I believe that God created this neuroplasticity of our brains so that that development of our brains can even change. That we can know, discover, and be shaped by the divine love of God. So this time of year especially, if you have a streaming service musically, whatever one that is, I'm not going to mention them because I'm not getting any commercial credits or anything for them, but your streaming service, find some Advent Christmas station and listen for the love of God. Soak in it. Soak in it. Grab hold of you the scriptures. Maybe you just want to get, to get wrapped around verse 7 and verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 85 and just, just every day, boom, boom, boom. Soak in it. Hear the love of God. Read the love of God. Pray about the love of God. Think about the love of God because that is his constant unfaltering posture toward you and me. Train our hearts to hear God's love above the noise. Above all the noise. Show us how much you love us, God. Give us the salvation we need. What an incredibly current prayer in the cultural waters where people are drowning in their longing, especially the longing to know they are loved. What a prayer. Again, Henri Nouwen says this, you are not what others or even you think of yourself. You are not what you do. You're not your paycheck. You're not your job title. You're not what you have, not what you can hold between your hands, not what you can park your car in. Look in the mirror each day and claim your true identity. Choose now and continue to choose this incredible truth as a spiritual practice. Claim and reclaim your primal identity as beloved daughter or son of a personal creator. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are. We are the beloved of God. Show us, O oh God, how much you love us. Give us the salvation we need. Give it to us, God. Show us. Well, here's the really good news. God's answered that prayer. This is good news. God came to sh- near to us to show how much he loves us. We, 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 are so, we are so numb at this time of year to the radical nature of the posture and behavior of God towards us and what it means for Christmas. We are so numb by the noise. Maybe this is a good time for me, talking to me now, to shut down my phone, to get off some screens. I'm on them all the time. To just stop for a minute. No, I don't have to get that done right now. And just listen for the love of God. 
Because here's the good news. He has answered the psalmist's prayer. Show us how much you love us, God. Give us the salvation we need. Listen to how he's answered it. Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But here it is. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through this washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. But don't you just love that? The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What's the most famous Bible verse? What is, what, what, someone want to call it out? John 3.16. Anyone know it by memory? The recording of this is going to sound like a murmur. <laughs> right? And that's kind of what we do with John 3.16. It's kind of a murmur in some ways. We are so familiar with it. Our familiarity almost breeds contempt to the place where we become like, we want to yawn. And yet, how do we get our head around that? Why is this the most famous scripture? Why is it the most famous scripture? Why do people tattoo it on their arms? And why do people make it screensavers on their phones? Why do athletes write it on the wristbands that they put on their wrists, their sweatbands? And why do they then post it to their social media feed? In all kinds of places. Could it be that embedded in every human heart is a very natural longing to be loved by God? You might not even be able to identify it or name it. But if you're wondering what it is that that deep longing to be loved by someone greater than you, that's what it is. And the truth is, this is why we even find ourselves talking about his coming. His first coming at his birth. Why? What's the big deal? Baby born in a barn. That's in that day? People said, oh, there's another Joshua being born down the street. But why? Why do we even think about the coming of Christ at his birth? Because of his love. Why do we even think about his coming in the present day to our daily lives? Because of his love. Why do we even begin to imagine that he will come in the future to make all things right. Why? Because this is just how much God loves us. He simply cannot stop himself. He is relentless. He keeps coming. He's coming for us. He's coming to us. He's relentless. It's not that God goes, well, I'll think about loving them. He can't stop himself. My friends, it is no mystery we are looking for love, and it is equally true as the old song says, we are tempted to look for love in all the wrong places. And often those places 
that we're seeking, quiet the voice within us that feels anxiety or feels less than for a little while. From material things to power to technology to addiction to isolation. And you can probably name some more. We use those things to seek, seek some sap, to quiet the longing. But there's one who offers us steadfast love and faithfulness. Maybe at this point in this sermon, you're expecting now some pontification about loving others. Seems appropriate. But that's not really necessary. Because if we can convince one another how truly we are loved by God, we will not have to convince each other how loving like God we can and ought to be. If we can convince one another how loved we are by God, when we recognize how loved we are by God, our natural response is going to be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So rather than saying we've got to go love people, no. And you can quote me on that. We need to love God with everything we have. And when we love God with everything we have, he'll plant in us his love, his for the world kind of love, because that's who he is. That's his character. That's his posture not only to us, but when he dwells within us and we love him, it is his posture through us to love the world. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And his name is Jesus. The Advent season reminds us that love came down. And that love comes down. And that love will come down to meet us, to be with us, to redeem us, to make all things right, and to keep us in God's love. God is that relentless with his love. And because that's true, I can come to him with the worst of times and the best of times. With, with the worst of myself and the best of myself. Because I know this, that no matter what, he's going to love me. And it's there that I can say, forgive me. It's there where I can say, I need you. I need your love. It's there where I can say, help me with this. It's there where I can have my brain shaped not just by the love of a parent, but by the love of Almighty God. My friends, that is what we're waiting for. And because those things are true, and we know we are loved, really, 
we can now breathe a sigh of relief. Thanks be to God. Our worship team is going to come. As they come, I want to invite you for a moment. Where is it that you need the love of God to meet you today? Where are you on this spiritual journey spectrum? Where are you? Because here's the beauty of that. Wherever you are in your spiritual spectrum, God's there meeting you. He's loving you. His posture toward you. His behavior toward you is love and righteousness, faithfulness and peace. He's, he's, he's all in. God is all in. So often in the church we talk about, you know, we need to be all in and we need to do this, we need to do that. And I'm wondering if we're getting it wrong much of the time where really what we need to recognize is that he's all in. That it's not about all that I can do or all that I can be. It's about all that he is and all that he can do. Jesus is everything. Because God is all in with his love for us through him. Where do you need? Where do you need the Savior of the world to meet you today? Is there something in your life that's just broken? Maybe you made some choices that were, you hurt people with them. Maybe, you know, there's this secret in you that we would say would be a sin. Something against God and against others. Where is that place of brokenness where someone's hurt you? And you and you want to get over that. And, and I wish I could say to you, oh, don't worry, God's going to get you over it that quickly. No, God doesn't typically work that way. Sometimes God takes our deepest wounds and he shapes us at the deepest place of ourselves over time. As we continue to give those things to God. Where is that someone's hurt you? And maybe even your image of a parent, of a father, is not of a behavior torch with love. Where is it where God has been so good to you? And life is really good. But you need the love of God just to meet you there. Maybe to turn around the way you're doing some things with how good he's been to you so that you can be loving with the behavior of God to the world. Where is it God needs to meet you? Well, we're going to sing this song, Jesus is here. My friends, Jesus is here. Amen? He's here. Where do you need his love today? Where are you afraid? Remember what the angel said to the shepherds? I know the Bible says, fear not. The literal translation is something like, don't freak out. Not really. 
But where are you afraid? God says, fear not. I love you. I don't know where it is. I just sense in my heart today that God wants to love us. God wants us to train, as Sheila Walsh says, train our minds to the love of God so that we can drown out all the noise of our sin, of our shame, of our history, of our world. Not to like put our heads in the sand. No, 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 no. To stare right into it. Stare right into the darkness saying God's love's bigger. So I don't know where that is with you. I know where that is with me. There's some spots where I need to really hear this message today. So, please stand with me, if you would. And as we sing today, in our tradition, we have this altar. That's what we call it. And the altar in the Old Testament was the place where the people would come and they would bring their gifts to God. Right, and they would sacrifice them to God. Well, in our polity, in our history, this has been a place where we can turn to God and just come in the safety of the people of God and just say, God, here I am. Here's my gift. Your gift might be your brokenness. Your gift might be your joy. Your gift might be your illness or your depression or your sin or your failure or your fear. And if you would like to just come while we're singing and spend a few moments before you walk out of here and the noise takes over and you just want to come and say, God, I need you to meet me here with your love. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to even say anything to you. We're going to be here to pray for you. And we're going to be praying. But I invite you to come. I invite you to come. Because we have a God who's postured toward us with his unfaltering love. So as we sing, if you'd like to come, I invite you to come as we sing to him. Jesus is here.